This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Good afternoon and good evening. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. Good to be with you today. Matt and Patrick here. Uh, one quick programming note coming up here in the 4 o'clock hour in Minneapolis-St. Paul. The state auditor, Julie Blaha, is going to join us. She's in charge of the state pensions, and uh, there's some questions on how that money is being invested, and it should be invested in certain air, uh, certain businesses, especially in regards to uh, the, the conflict going on in the Middle East. We'll talk to her about this, some of the criticisms that she's faced, and some of the, the questions there. That's coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. But right now it's the 3 o'clock hour, and me and Patrick are here. Uh, Patrick, how are are you today? How was your weekend? Oh, doing pretty well. I had a hockey game. It was up in uh, about 45 minutes northwest of uh, Minneapolis. A little bit of a drive. It was a good game. Uh, mm-hmm. Yesterday, just kind of relaxed uh, with some of the football action. wasn't a real uh, wasn't a real high energy weekend. <laughs> That's selling it right there. Nicely done. I saw Santa. I saw Santa. Thank you very much. Lifelong friend, by the way. Uh, Santa got, I got the Christmas tree. I uh, got it decorated because you know, it's kind of one of those things where you got to figure out which weekend you're going to do it. And I'm not one of these people that the second Halloween's over, I'm putting up Christmas stuff. No, not happening. Uh, so I, I, I went out, we got the tree and the kids were all excited because we decided this year we were, we were going to buy an artificial tree. We decided to go with an actual tree because we had no idea what the dimensions of our Christmas tree usually is. So we decided we need to do one for a, a tester so we can measure it out so the next year. So hopes and dreams die next year when I get the artificial tree. But I got a real tree this year. Decorated that out, got out, and just did some nice hiking. I hope you had a good weekend no matter what you did. Uh, and it's nice to be with you. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, let me start by, obviously, the if you heard the beginning of this show, uh, Chicago. Hi, Chicago. Nice to be with you. It's an absolute privilege, an absolute privilege to be with you at WCPT 820. Uh, I am uh, a radio host up here in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, let me give you a little background information on me and just understand who I am. And for the people in the Twin Cities who have listened for near 14 years of this show, uh, it's a good reminder of, who the heck is this guy? Yeah, that's it. Let me start by saying I am uh, born in 68 here in MSP, uh, lived in Rhode Island, lived in Georgia for a little bit, graduated high school here in Minnesota, U.S. Army, go Army, uh, was stationed overseas for four years, uh, came back, went to college, did the Upper Midwest Radio Shuffle. I was in Beloit, Wisconsin. I was in Eldora, Iowa. I was in Bemidji, Minnesota. Spoiler alert, that's coming back here in a little bit, as well as also I was in Ames, Des Moines, came back to the Twin Cities back in 2000, and uh, we, my wife and I decided it was time for us to have kids, so we bought a house, did all that stuff. I've been up here working in progressive radio since 2010. 
Uh, what else about me? Um, like I said, I'm a veteran, very proud of, of this country. I, I think that this country represents a lot of things, and I, and it has been hard to watch the legacy of this country get tarnished, especially when I've when you can see what this country can do when it it when it puts its mind to it. It can fix a lot of things. Uh, but I am very proud of my military service. I was uh, in the military. I was uh, what was called a rat rig operator, a thirty-one Charlie. And radio people, that military people, will, army people will get that because they don't even use those names anymore. I was a thirty-one Charlie, and then I became what's called a forty-six Romeo. I was a radio broadcaster at Armed Forces Radio Network in Nuremberg, which was my first radio gig, where I had far more listeners than I will ever have again in my life. I'm serious. We broadcast into the old East Germany at that point. Millions of people, millions and millions and millions of people, like 40 million people were listening to the show. And I'm like, okay, hi. You know, it was great. Just a great way to start. Only downhill from here. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a, a narrow trajectory. Um, I uh, Yeah, I introduced Germany to Nirvana. Not a joke. I introduced Germany to Nirvana. You're welcome, America. Uh, we uh, – I, I – I've done radio for my entire life. I, I like being in radio. I've done pretty much every different kind of format, sports talk. I did Top 40. I was a morning show host on a Top 40 station. I've done talk radio for many years. was a traffic reporter for a while. But I uh, settled into the progressive side of things in 2010. And a lot of it actually has to do with my military uh, background. That's why I kind of – I mentioned that first. You see, is when – 9-11 happened and yeah, I you know, obviously horrible and we need to go get the people that were responsible. Funny story, Saudi Arabia. I'll I'll spoiler alert, I'll save that for another show. <sighs> um but the Taliban, uh, Osama bin Laden definitely wanted to, you know, make sure we, we we took care of business there, but thanks to Trump we really didn't in Afghanistan. <sighs> but then all of a sudden George W. Bush decided to attack Iraq. Under false pretenses. And they knew it was false pretenses. They knew that Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. They just wanted – Dick Cheney just wanted their oil. That's all he wanted. He wanted their oil to try to offset OPEC. And funny story, the Iraqis were not on board with that after the case. And my military mentality was you do not send the military into combat under false pretenses. The military is great. You tell them to jump, they say how high. The only thing they ask in return is that you do not send them into combat under false pretenses. And the reality is, is that's exactly what happened. That was kind of the end of that for me. I used to occasionally vote for a moderate Republican. As a matter of fact, when I first came back, my, my wife and I supported our local politicians were moderate Republicans, and we were, they were friends, and we supported them. I wouldn't even think about voting for a Republican today. The entire party is corrupted and broken. But that was kind of the big switch for me, and I became a progressive radio show host at that point. I've got three kids. One's getting ready to graduate college. One just started college. One's still in high school. I, um, uh, you know, I can, you know, I, I there's a there's a lot of perspective on how I approach doing this that I want to make sure I, I mention to you just so you can get to know me a little bit. I, I generally don't shy away from some topics. I won't kind of hide from certain things. There are certain things I can already evaluate that, you know, do I really want to get into in between a screaming match or something like that? I like, no, I, I don't want to. There's, there's quicker ways to die. How about I say it like that? 
but I don't mind approaching the tougher subjects. The, 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 the reality is, is that I think we, we have to face the real subject here because I think – I'll give you a great example of this. Right now in this country, we are, we are barreling towards 2024 and I'm starting to see Democrats act like there's more than two choices this upcoming election. Now, I'm not here to defend the two-party system. I'm not here to defend the two choices being Joe Biden, although I'm a big supporter of Joe Biden. I think the president has done an absolutely freaking fantastic job. One of the top five most productive productive presidents in their first term in the history of this country. I'm dead serious. He has been fantastic. I'm a big supporter of Joe Biden, but some people aren't. The other side is a mass of of orange slushy that's been left out in the sun and been given the the mentality of a of a child that eats paste. Those are your two choices. Those are it. And this is the ugly truth. You may not like something about Joe Biden. Fine. I don't agree with him on everything either. Absolutely. I don't agree with him on everything. But you're freaking crazy if you don't think I'm going to vote for the guy. Have you heard the clown car brigade on the other side of the aisle? Have you heard what they're saying? Have you heard what they're going to talk about? They're talking about banning all Muslims, Arabs out of the country. They're talking about concentration camps. They're talking about some really atrocious things that are truly terrifying to think. Military being dispersed in this country to basically attack its own citizens. Terrifying stuff. That's what's going to happen if they win. They're going to at least try it. And I don't want this crud about, oh, it won't be that bad. Shut up. They tried to overthrow the government when they lost because Trump had a temper tantrum. End of discussion. End of freaking discussion. Nope. You you have to understand the, the reality of the situation. And you may not like that reality, but this is we're trying to save freaking democracy at this point. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to save democracy. Because it does not take much to push a stable country into an unstable world. It just doesn't. And yeah, we have some very good safeguards in this country that prevented us. Uh, General Miley, I, we got to give him a lot of credit for basically standing up to Trump and saying, over my dead body, are you? am I going to allow you to stay in this White House past your time? It would have been hilarious if Trump – did you hear the story that Trump was thinking about trying to not leave the White House? I would pay – Big money for front row seats to watch General Miley walk into the White House, grab that lard ass by his orange foot, and drag him across the front yard of the White House and chuck him on a helicopter and say, Bon voyage! (laughs) Oh, good times, America. Good times. Now, that's on the other side. So I just want to make sure you understand, if you don't vote for Joe Biden, you're voting for Donald Trump. It really is that simple. You want a third-party candidate? Great. Go out and work your caboose off to build a third party. That doesn't just happen with a snap of your fingers. You're not going to just be, well, if everyone just did what I want them to do, everything would be great. No, it's not going to happen. And that's this is hard reality. These are hard truths, but they have to be said. 
I will talk about religion. I myself is a Christian. My disclaimer, you do or don't do whatever it is you do or don't want to do. I am Christian. Used to be Catholic until the Conference of American Catholic uh, Bishops, uh, Catholic Cardinals, uh, they basically went out there and decided to go to war against Joe Biden. And I'm like, okay, no, this is not why I'm going to church. I'm not going to church so it can be politics. And so I have left the Catholic church. I found a nice little Lutheran church. Very sweet. Nice holiday decorations this weekend, by the way, guys. I appreciated that. I, I, I'm not here to convert anyone. I'm here to try to save a religion which I perceive to be based on love, peace, welcoming, compassion, caring from basically being turned into a, a weapon of the right, which it has been done effectively for decades, hence where we are at a lot of this in this country at this point. The final thing I want to mention here before I get into some topics a little bit about this show is this. I don't really have a lot of patience for the right. I don't. Because the modern Republican doesn't want to have a debate. They don't. They don't want to have a debate. They want to kick open the door of your house, go into your living room, go to the bathroom in the middle of the floor of your living room, point to it with a smile on their face and say, you have to like it. No, I don't. I'm just going to lock the door and not let you in. So to all the ignorant conservatives out there who think, I'm going to make him insult him. First, I could care less about what you think. Second of all, if you really want to go to town with me, I've been doing this for too long, man, and I'll make you cry, and I'll tell your mom to come pick you up after I say, hi, mom. How you doing? Good to see you. Anyway, that's who I am. You've got a little bit of a, a basis and understanding of all about me at this point. Let's get into some topics when we do return. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show for your Monday. AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk, the Matt McNeil Show for today. Uh, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, the, one of the things I want to make sure you, we mention here is that the, the, there's a lot of ways for you to reach out and touch me. And boy, do I like it when you reach out and touch me. Uh, anyway, social media. Uh, lots of ways for you to, to, to stalk me at your leisure. Uh, the Facebook page is Matt McNeil Show Progressive Citizen X. That You can find that there. Uh, also on uh, Threads, uh, Matt McNeil Show. On Mastodon, it is uh, Matt McNeil Show. On Blue Sky, I like Blue Sky. I do like Blue Sky. That's a Matt McNeil Show. And on the Elon Musk Death Star, known as Twitter, because I'm not going to freaking call it X. I don't care. I'm sorry, you you, you petulant man child that needs a, a, a approval. No, not no, no. It's Twitter. You can find me at Matt McNeil Show. And please do. I, I and do I do enjoy hearing from everyone out there. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg on Thursday of last week fired back at House Speaker Mike Johnson, calling him unserious after the Speaker criticized the way he has run the Transportation Department. Johnson spoke about the Federal Aviation Administration reauthorization bill earlier this week while touring a project in Sarasota, Florida. Now, the touring of the project in Sarasota, Florida, is the important part. By the way, that was funded by the infrastructure bill, Joe Biden's infrastructure bill. I'm not delighted, by the way, that Secretary Buttigieg has run the Transportation Department. Anywho, I don't need to mention too much more about uh, Speaker, uh, you know, 
Mardi Gras there. Buttigieg, in his response, noted that Johnson voted against the infrastructure law, spoken while touring an airport project that we selected for funding from President Biden's infrastructure bill that Speaker Johnson voted against. The secretary said on X, Twitter, the platform known as Elon Musk's sad life. And after voting twice this year alone to slash air traffic control budgets, this is, to put it charitably, unserious. You don't want to mess with Buttigieg, man. Buttigieg really wants to, he wants to dance. He does want to dance. Johnson toured the Sarasota Brandonton International Airport, which is getting $100 million in funding from the infrastructure law for an expansion project. Florida Representative Kathy Castor, a Democrat, had previously called out Johnson for touring the project after he voted against the legislation, calling it awkward and shameful of the speaker. Democratic lawmakers and top Biden administration officials, including President of the United States, have been quick to call out Republican lawmakers for touting investments in their states that came from funding from bills they voted against. Uh, I've talked about this at length. We've got uh, Representative Pete Stauber, uh, or as I like to call him, Stubby. Uh, he is a Republican up uh, in one of the Minnesota districts, and he tried to take credit for airport improvements on rural airports that desperately needed help. I mean, and this is one of the great things, that infrastructure bill. Man, that was a huge freaking deal because there was a lot of infrastructure that needed to get fixed, and it actually took it seriously. It actually took it seriously. The infrastructure bill was was so in-depth and covered so many different things that it, it became difficult for Republicans to admit that they just voted. They voted against it just to vote against it. Not because it would help. Now, not all Republicans, a few of them did indeed vote for the bill. But the vast majority of them didn't. And this is is kind of the point I want to make with this. I want you to prepare yourselves for the entire 2024 campaign because that's – the Republicans are all going to try to take credit for the infrastructure bill. They're all going to try to take credit for the infrastructure bill. They – don't let them. They'll try to make the arguments like, well, I voted against the bill, but I was for this funding. Now, there is such a stupid mentality towards this idea that I guess the House and the Senate have the time to bring up every individual element of these bills individually and pass them individually. Yeah, that's just that's not realistic. You know, it's it's not like the House and Senate is like, today we bring up the Topeka Airport bill. Tomorrow we're bringing up the Olympia Washington Airport bill. The day after that, we're going to bring something up for for uh, the uh, Houston, Texas Airport. No, you, you do this all together. So you can't argue. By the way, and if that was the world, if that was their, their dream world and they wanted to do it that way, can you imagine what a mess it would be? Nothing would get done. Especially if there were Republican majorities because the Republicans would say, you need to vote for my project. But the minute it was someone else's project, they were like, that's wasting my taxpayer dollars because that's how these clowns operate. But this is how we have to do it. And at the end of the day, Johnson and a lot of Republicans whose districts directly benefited from this voted against this happening. And do not allow them to take credit for them. They're going to try because, let's face it, they're not going to get a damn thing done. There's a legitimate likelihood they're not going to be – they want to desperately impeach Biden. Not because Joe Biden deserves to be impeached, but because they're running interference for Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is 
the worst president this country has ever had, absolutely undeniably. And so what they're trying to do is, you know, create fake crises with Joe Biden to validate their irrational actions of trying to impeach the guy when the guy didn't do anything wrong. So, yeah, you you can't – I'm sorry. You know, it, it, they're, they're not even – I don't even think they're going to be able to get that done because what? There's 15, 16 moderate Republicans that are in districts that if they did that, that would be the end of their political career. And even if they did, it would be laughed out of the Senate – Although they'd sit there and say, we did our due diligence there. And and what they'll even argue is that we sent the evidence up to Joe Biden's guilt, but the Democratic Senate voted it down. Now, the reality is, is they're not going to get a damn thing done. They're, they're so torn on just keeping the government open and functioning. You think that these these guys don't have a plan? These are these are a bunch of guys who all of a sudden the the turkey fryer on a, on on a on a football Sunday all of a sudden catches the patio on fire, but they're all half drunk and they don't quite know what you got to do something. I don't know. I'm not going to do something. That's going to burn everything. You know, that's who these guys are. <laughs> a little close to home for some of us. I'm oh, sorry about that. What oil displacement? Okay, oil displacement. That's what you got to watch out for when you use one of those deep fryers. Okay, just oil displacement. You got to check that before you put the the bird in there. Anyway, needless to say, this is this is all they've got is to. And here's the here's the real travesty. Their voters don't care. Their voters have been brainwashed by thirty years of right wing talk. It's not. It's not news. It's opinion validation. It's narrative validation. They want to believe that everything is is great for them when they vote for Republicans and horrible when they vote for Democrats. The reality is, is the Republicans. Let's look at rural America. The Republicans have decimated rural America. They themselves have done it. Absolutely torpedoed rural America. And the entire argument they make to rural America is what. Well, it'd be worse if the Democrats were in charge. Would it? I don't think it would be. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't. Healthcare for all, for most people and better roads, better schools, better quality of life? No. Not not pandering to one or two corporate farmers? No, 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 no. I I, I think things would be a lot better with the Democrats. But they're going to take credit for stuff that they proudly voted against. And their voters are going to say, yay, glad you voted against this and it got passed. And they're not even going to hear themselves say it. They're just not. What you need to do is make sure you keep that in mind is that the when it comes down to it, that's their entire campaign, this upcoming election. You need to push that back and fight against that at all costs. You have to. You absolutely have to. 952-946-6205. Take a break. Come on back. Broadcasting on WCPTA 20 Chicago's Progressive Talk and 9, AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show for your Monday. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Uh, remember I told you earlier about Bemidji. Spoiler alert. I got a story here. The Washington Post picks this up, actually. And, and uh, Bemidji is a, a city in northern Minnesota, uh, up, uh, up in the northwestern part of the state. 
when Delbert Mickelson's mail started showing up late and sometimes not showing up at all, he blamed it on the opening of deer season. I thought my carrier was out hunting, Mickelson said over breakfast. Since early November, Bemidji has been bombarded by a sudden onslaught of Amazon packages. And local postal workers say they've been ordered to deliver those packages first. The result has been chaos at the Bemidji Post Office. Mail is getting backed up sometimes for days, leaving local residents waiting for checks, credit card statements, health insurance documents, uh, and tax rebates. Routes mean uh, meant to take 8 to 9 hours are stretching 10 to 12. At least five carriers have quit, and the post office has banned scheduled sick days for the rest of the year. Nice. Bemidji is not only the only place where the postal workers say they have been overwhelmed by packages from Amazon. The ubiquitous e-commerce giant carriers and local officials say mail service has been disrupted in rural communities from Portland, Maine to Washington State's San Juan Islands. The situation stems from a crisis at the postal service. Um, The post office has a contract with Amazon since 2013 when it started delivering packages on Sunday. In recent years, that business has exploded as Amazon has increasingly come to rely on postal carriers to make last-mile deliveries in harder-to-reach rural locations. I'll come back to that in a second. The Postal Service considers the contract proprietary and has declined to disclose its terms. Once again, this is a government agency not willing to share the terms of the deal that they have made with these private companies. U.S. Postmaster General Louis DeJoy has said, he publicly that the increasing package volume is not just from Amazon, but FedEx and UPS as well is key to the mail service's financial future. In a November 14th speech to the Postal Service Board of Governors, DeJoy said he wants the post office to become the preferred delivery provider in the nation. And in recent years, the agency has reconfigured its nationwide network of mail sorting plants, purchased an armada of eco-friendly delivery trucks, and pressed the marketing campaign in service of that goal. In bigger cities, Amazon has its own distribution network which takes some of the pressure off the post office. But in rural areas where carriers drive miles of lonely routes in the personal vehicles, the arrangement has caused a lot of problems. So when you – I want to take a few steps back before I get into this more, into the details of this, and kind of talk a little bit about the entire goal of Republicans. Because one of the things that we have seen and we have seen quite a bit is – this this modern mentality they they like to, to 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 republicans like to scream oh we're here for smaller government but they're not here for smaller government they're really not they what they want is they want the same system they just want the federal tax dollars to no longer be to be handled by a government agency they want it to be handed over to a private company now i will say some things are better run by private companies, uh, I, undeniably. But I'm going to be also blunt. There are a lot of things that are much better, much better run by a government. And I know that there, there are some people out there who's like, Matt, you just said that government bad. These are generally the same people who are dependent on government themselves. But the reality is, is that's the truth. The minute you take something that was a government job and you give it to a private company, then the first thing that you have to look at is profit margins. You have to look at executive pay salaries. You have to look at executive bonuses. And then you get a look at that stuff. That doesn't exist in other things. And this is not the first time that the federal government has looked at a large pool of cash and asked the question of whether or not we can somehow divert this into the private sector. Let's, let's start with NASA. 
<laughs> we used to, NASA used to to do a lot of its own thing. It used to be great. It used to we used to have space shuttles. We used to have a space program in this, and then all of a sudden one day they just decided, you know what? Let's let's just privatize it all. And there isn't a single thing. I mean, why do you think? All these billionaires are getting into building their own launch pads and space fleets because it's a ton of money, not out of the benevolence of their own heart. By God, no. It's a lot of money for their to line their pockets with. And and this there's a problem with this, too. I mean, has anyone really thought about the dangers of having someone like Elon Musk say, oh, I'm not going to 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 do that to the federal government in regards to a space program? I don't want to do that. I mean, they've, he's already kind of threatened Ukraine multiple times with with the, you know, the, the, the satellite information. I mean, you're putting a lot of power and faith in a private sector individual who I don't know if you should be doing that. And let alone, once again, you're paying for sal- private salaries, private bonuses, you know, you know, stock shares, all these things. That's what you're paying for. Now, it doesn't mean that NASA doesn't do a good job with what they've got, but they've basically been relegated to the science side of things. They're not doing manned space flights anymore per se. It's more about you know, space telescopes and sending probes to, to, to comets and stuff. It's, that's more of what they're doing there. The stuff that you could not take from NASA and make money off of doing. You just couldn't really do that. So there's that side. How about jails? I mean, my goodness, I mean, um, John Oliver last week tonight has done a fantastic job over the years of talking about the amount of the, the amount of private sector uh, money that has gone, you know, that, that used to go to jails, the, the, the government ran that was, you know, taxpayer funded government run jails. It's now to the private sector and how that has horribly been abused, whether it's the meals, whether it's the medical care, whether it's the facilities themselves. It's, you know, it's, it, and it's, you see, that's easy for Republicans because they can say, well, these people don't deserve to be treated like human beings anyway, and that's who they are. Once again, Republicans claim to be Christian. Funny story, not what Jesus would do. That's again, that's aside. That's an aside. But that is, that's why they, they have no problem lining the pockets of their corporate benefactors, you know, because as long as, long as they can get that campaign check at campaign season, or if they can get that cush lobbying gig, Later on, when they when they retire from the House or the Senate, they don't care. They're getting paid. Their their little Billy gets a you know an executive level job with the company. Their wife is on the the board of the company or the charitable arm of the company. You know it it it's it's just corruption beyond corruption. That's but that's what you get. I mean, this is what these companies have paid for. They have paid for these 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 Republicans to take this taxpayer money that was going to go and run this program within the government and distribute it to them so that they can make as much money as possible. And trust me, they're not living check to check. Schools. How about schools? The idea of taking the the money from private uh, from pu- the public school system and funneling into charter schools. Now, I know that this is going to be one of those things where Matt, I, hey. Don't go down that road. I've got my kids in a charter school. Their charter school is great. I'm not saying there aren't some good charter schools. There are a few. Overwhelmingly, though, the charter schools are not as better than the public school system. It is not. As a matter of fact, it's almost like in in some cases, it's like a a grift system. 
it clearly seems to be about basically just ripping off the the taxpayer and not delivering any kind of quality education. And you see, I think people get frustrated so much with schools that all you have to do to try to make a charter school look appealing is, look, we've got uniforms for the kids that you have to pay for. We have uniforms for the kids. Well, they, they look like they – don't they look a little bit more – they're not they're, – they're, they have to wear their uniform to school. And the reality is the school itself doesn't educate the kid. It doesn't give them a quality education. It doesn't make their life any better. As a matter of fact, it's worse. As a matter of fact, the testing I've seen on this public schools generally overshoot charter schools by 10 points on testing. It's not even close. And with, when you have that much evidence that that is not working, how we keep pouring money into the system makes no sense. Don't get me wrong. Once again, there are some charter schools which are exceptional, and they do a really good job. But the reality is the vast majority don't, and they actually seem to be wasting a lot more of our taxpayer dollars. But once again, big ball of taxpayer cash going to a government-run program. How do we get it out of that program into the hands of the private individuals? You knew back when W. Bush basically forced the post office to build up that pension fund that that was – they were creating this massive ball of cash. And when they put DeJoy in as the postmaster general – the reality is, is that was that it, it seemed to be, I think, the goal of the Republicans to do the same exact thing with the Postal Service that they had they've done with with jails and with NASA and with schools to take all that taxpayer money that goes to the post office and then in turn give it to private companies and then get rid of the post office completely. There was a, there that, that undeniably was their first their first idea. Their first idea. The reality is, is that they came to a realization that they could not, it wasn't cost effective for Amazon or UPS or FedEx or any other private company to go on out to these rural desolate parts of the country and deliver mail out there. There just, there wasn't any value in it. So, it seems like what you've got now is this new mentality that, okay, fine, we're not going to kill the post office, but what we can do then is use the post office. And reminder, the Republicans can't stand the postal union. They cannot. They, it's like any other union. They just can't stand it. So this is a way for them. And this, when you look back on this, this, we can't tell you what the contract's like because it's proprietary. This, to me points to the problem, which is they can bring in all this excess work, promise Amazon and FedEx and UPS and any other delivery company they take their packages from, that their packages will be the priority over people's mail, and there's really not much you can do about it. And time and time again, you've, you've gotten to the point where you have abused, you're abusing the postal worker, the union workers of this country, to basically get this done. And that's what it all seems to be. Now, the whole point of this is to create, to turn the postal service into this cheap labor force for Amazon. And frankly, that's not the goal. That should not be the goal of the postal service. The postal service's existence shouldn't be there to make sure that Amazon doesn't, you know, doesn't have to pay the price of having to deliver the products that people are buying for them at the obscenely cheap prices. No, if, if Amazon 
Amazon is choosing to sell to people. I, you know, Amazon just doesn't want to do what they 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 could do, which is say, "I'm sorry, you're you know, we're going to drop your package off at a regional hub. You'll need to go over to that regional hub and pick up the package during regular business hours." They don't want to do that, so they'll just abuse the postal service. But when we're at the point now when the Postal Service can't do the job the Postal Service is supposed to do, deliver the mail, because we've got to make sure all the Amazon packages are delivered first, well, that's a problem. And this seems to be the template. Now, once again, this is not going to affect Chicago. It's not going to affect Minneapolis-St. Paul, per se, because we are large enough metro areas to where these delivery companies have their own networks here in town. My God, I mean, was it on Friday of this last week? I saw 12 trucks, delivery trucks coming up and down my street in my neighborhood. They're everywhere here. Where the problem is, is when you get out to these rural areas. And it might not be a, a, a town that's really small, but if it services a large area which is rural, well, then all of a sudden now you've got a bigger problem. And, you know... You can't be burning these people out. I mean, think about this. You can't have a sick day at this post office now because if you do, Amazon, you, you you can't deliver the Amazon packages. And so now they're basically back to this point of you've got to work or else. And I'm sorry. I think we have to start looking at this stuff and pulling back the layers of the onion and saying to ourselves, if, the, okay, great. They're not trying to dismantle the post office and, you know, distribute it and destroy it on that, that level. But what you are looking at is them going out there and, and basically using that post office as a cheap labor force. So, yeah, that's not good either. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Baby, I don't need you. You know the day destroys the It's the Matt McNeil show on your Monday. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. Uh Patrick, uh I've got life or death. <laughs> Which one do you want first today? Uh, let's do the positive one. Oh, the positive one. All right. From the Centers of Disease Control. Good news. Uh, after a decade of stagnation followed by two years of sharp decline, American life expectancy rose significantly in 2022. Last year's average life expectancy was 77.5 years, up from 76.4 in 2021. It's basically the same level now as it was in the early 2000s. Not just one, but two lost decades of public health gains. So, yay, good news. We're starting to get better there. Life expectancy is a weird number. You might think it represents something like, uh, how long is a baby born this year expected to live? But that's not actually accurate. Instead, it's a representing the average number of years that a group of infants would live if they were experienced throughout life, the age-specific death rates uh, prevailing during a period. You know, like you, you expose them all to an EDM concert. I mean, that's going to that's gonna take some life off of them. You know, it's, 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 I had a... My daughter, I was at the museum. My daughter is there, and I've talked about this before. This was one you wonder where my hair went. It was all in this day. There was a there's a Picasso statue called uh, Baboon Car, and it's just out there on a pedestal. And she's whacking the Picasso, and I n- no no bad bad no 
do not violate the highly expensive piece of bronze art. Although, yeah, it, it, yeah. You shouldn't have left it out, I guess, in the first place. Actually, the, the, the guard looked at us and said, it happens all the time. It's like, thank God. Thank God. It's not easy to break a bronze. I'm not saying we should try, especially in the case of a Picasso. But, you know, it's one of those things. That took a few years off my life. And as a matter of fact, I imagine there's a lot of parents out there as well that had similar situations that, you know, all of a sudden one day, hey, I had hair yesterday. You know, that sort of thing. How, how did my face get so wrinkled? <laughs> one of those things. Boy, every joint in my body hurts. Yes, I know exactly what that's like. Babies born this year end up living through the time of major public health advances later in their lives. For instance, they'll likely be able to be much older than the 77.5 year on average. Conversely, if things get a lot worse, Trump, uh, their lives may be considerably shorter. Um, Basically, think about it as a hypothetical index. In other words, you know, a snapshot representing morality rates, different ages and different gears. So, but needless to say, it's gone up. It's gone up. It, does it surprise anyone? God, does it surprise anyone that the life expectancy rates went down when we had a president saying, "You can just shoot bleach into your body"? What? <laughs> We've got this from the veterinarian. There's this, 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 this stuff that's a horse dewormer. It's called ivermectin. This stuff is going to save you from COVID. Now, here's the fun part. Um, you need to drop your tra- pants uh, if you're going to do this effectively. How many – think about this. You want, you want a, 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 a warm thought to, to carry you into the cool night. Um, imagine how many Republicans actually took the ivermectin and use it as you know a suppository, you know, you know. I don't, I don't judge on you know. You want to do your own OnlyFans thing? That's all on you. But you know, freaky deaky, my friend, and it didn't work. It didn't work. But it might have opened some eyes. You know, I think there are some people that came to grips with exactly who their sexual identity is, and all more more power to you on that one. But you would have put a light bulb. Just, just expose it to light. I saw something. This, that's all. It was Trump basically upset that doctors knew more about medicine than he did, and so he had to take control. And the amount of stupid idiot morons who sat there and said, "Yeah, I'm going to undo my overalls, honey. Come give me a hand with this." Happy holidays. Yes, indeed. 952-946-6205. And with life, here comes the other side of that one. Let's get to the death. Uh, needless to say, it's actually the death of a campaign. And you might be going, who? Yeah, exactly. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum apparently was running for president. I, I know. I know. He has now suspended his 2024 presidential campaign. The announcement comes as North Dakota Republicans struggle to build momentum with the GOP primary. Bergam, who did not qualify for the third GOP debate last month, criticized the Republican National Committee's qualification requirements in his statement. The RNC's clubhouse debate requirements are nationalizing the primary process and taking the power of democracy away from the engaged Thoughtful citizens of Iowa and New Hampshire. <laughs> the Republican voters of Iowa and New Hampshire, you say. Okay. Um, a few years ago, I was at a holiday party. 
and there was a guy who owned a, a big hog lot down in Iowa. And this is back right after Trump put those tariffs in. And I said, oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I said to him, how are you guys doing? Are you doing OK? Because in case you missed that story, um, the the American hog prices, they, they got torpedoed. And meanwhile, while our, our hog exports dropped dramatically, Australia, New Zealand, Argentina, Brazil all ran into that void and started getting long-term contracts with China where a lot of our American pork went. And I looked at him and I said, how are you doing? And he said, oh, it's, it's been bad. It's been really bad. And I said, wow, well, I'm so sorry about this. But I think Trump's got the right angle. Like, what? Yeah, he's destroyed my business, but I like the cut of his jib. You can't, you can't help some of these people. You just can't. They're, they are brainwashed. They can say, sure, I'm against January 6th. They're going to vote for Trump anyway. They're going to vote. This is why everyone votes. This is why everyone votes. Uh, Bergam, the former software entrepreneur, launched his GOP, GOP campaign in June. If a, for, a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, uh, saying a video previewing the announcement of that anger, yelling, infighting is not going to cut it anymore. Now, Bergam's not bad. I mean, he's better than a lot of the guys, but he never had a chance anyway. And at the end of the day, I think he'll just he would just kowtow to the to the far right MAGA side of things anyway. Uh, he spent millions of his own money on his campaign and centered his platform on the economic, energy, and foreign policy. He polled in the low single digits. Where? Where did this guy even get a digit? I don't even think he was getting a digit in North Dakota. No, he wasn't in the single. He was in the percentage of a single digit, maybe. No. He lacked name recognition. Uh, anyway, yeah, he's gone. What was your favorite uh, Doug Burgum moment? Uh, well, no, I, I don't know. I'll get back to you on that. Thanks, Chicago. Good to be with you. Minneapolis-St. Paul, Hour 2 up next. Hour number two of the show here on your Monday. Good to be with you, Minneapolis-St. Paul. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. And yeah, we just FYI, we're now broadcasting that first hour in Chicago on WCPT. If you know people down there in the twi- in the Chicago metro area, let them know about that. That's going to be every weeknight, 9 p.m. in Chicago. So good to have that with us. But this hour is just all you and me. Uh, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. The auditor for the state of Minnesota is Julie Blaha. She is kind enough today to join us uh, to talk about... Uh, about an issue that uh, she's been having to address at her office. Uh, Auditor, thank you very much. I appreciate the time, as always. Always good to be here. Thanks. Well, thank you. Now, you, 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 we're having you on for a specific reason because you, mm-hmm. and we talked about this a little bit when you were running about the importance of why it was important to get you, Julie Blaha, into the auditor, auditor position because there is a uh, you part of your job is as auditor is to manage the pension funds of the state. Correct. We yes, I'm on the state board of investment, and that is the group that manages about 128 billion dollars of uh, funds that primarily go to support pensions. And 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 talk a little bit about uh, you know you basically um, your office has been getting some attention here because people are concerned with where this money is being invested. Correct. Oh, well, yes. And in particular, um, you may have heard in the, the last week, we had several protesters at our last State Board of Investment meeting um, asking us to divest from Israel, um, different levels of that. 
Now, uh, not only have we had requests to divest from Israel, we've had requests to increase investments in Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had requests to uh, divest in um, um, all fossil, anything connected to a fossil fuel, uh, increase investments in local government or mining. It's uh, We have a lot of people coming with really again, very sincere concerns about an issue. Uh, and then they're trying to use the pension fund to advance their cause. And I think there's an inherent problem there when you try to use a fund for something it was never designed to do. Well, and this is to a point, and now, once again, we're not getting into the Middle East crisis. I don't, this is not about talking about the merits yeah. of one side or the other side. But when you were running for office, it was clear that the the opposite opposite party wanted to politicize this and wanted to no green technology fossil fuels only they did, that was that was kind of one of those things and it's something we've seen in other states where these these positions have been open here that that's the point of this is to manage the fund that the, this is the retired workers are using that we can't mess around exactly. with this in the sense being that it can't be the flavor of the day sort of thing well, exactly. You know, this uh, right now about 800,000 Minnesotans are connected to this fund in some way. And in fact, we have about 150,000 or so current retirees that are depending on this fund. And, and it's for, you know, they need to keep the heat on, buy groceries, fill prescriptions. I mean, this is uh, some very foundational parts of dignity and retirement. So it's an extremely important fund. Um, and, and I do understand people get a little confused because, you know, we, we want to definitely have the freedom to consider every real risk, material risk, we call it, or material opportunity out there. So, yes, we definitely consider things like um, climate change because climate change is affecting the markets. So we have to take a look at how climate change affects our investments. Uh, we know that companies with more diverse boards perform better. So, yes, we look at uh, the, the makeup of your board when it comes to, say, racial gender diversity because we know that will affect your performance on average. Um, we look at uh, we look at global conflict. Uh, to look for risk, you know, war, uh, any other kinds of conflicts, we do actually consider. But what what we don't do is we try is to use the fund to try to say change the outcome of a war, or change public policy, or uh, or change uh, people's behavior. That really isn't a great use of this fund. Um, and if you are going to do that, you have to be able to balance a ledger. Because my job, the reason I have a legal requirement to stay focused on risks and opportunities instead of using the fund in any other way is because uh, if, uh, if, if we come up short and risks come due, it's public employees that feel this. Mm-hmm. So it's firefighters, it's teachers, it's retired social workers, you know. And, and so when people come to me and ask me to use the fund for some other purpose other than that, they really have to justify why public employees should take a bigger risk than everybody else's on this issue and why it should be their fund used for it as opposed to a more direct way of taking action. Uh, so, yeah, it's been it's, – it's, it's tough because – the people who come to us, I mean, they're they're very sincere. The stories are are, are gut wrenching. There, mm-hmm. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt their sincerity. I simply doubt the tactic of shifting additional risk onto public employees for something the fund was never designed to do. The there, if you don't mind stepping back for a little bit and kind of giving a little bit of general background information, when when you were looking to invest in something with a pension fund. 
you know, generally it's not like, you know, a specific company. Like I'll just say 3M. It, it generally is not. It, it's a pension fund, isn't it? Usually aren't these funds, yes. which are multi – There, a lot of these are very dynamic. There's very le- levels of depth. And to a point, it's it's not necess- – you know, you can, you can look at this, but it, it's, it's not nearly sometimes as easy to be able to determine if you say, I don't want anything from – Say Wisconsin. We're just going to use Wisconsin. If we don't want anything, sure, no, do no, <laughs> we don't want any investment from Wisconsin on, on these things. It's not easy in a lot of cases to be able to determine where those delineation lines are. Correct. Well, exactly. One of the ways that we make the the fund go as far as possible is to use things like passive investment, where you're investing in a fund or in a group, so that you don't have to be doing every little transaction yourself. If we wanted to actively invest. $130 billion, we're going to need hundreds more people yeah. hired here. That's going to be quite expensive. Uh, and so, you know, I, we see people saying, hey, literally last week we were asked to divest from um, Puma Sportswear and um, uh, TripAdvisor, which it's like, I, I'm not sure how you think that advances your cause, but it's also these are things that are in aggregate. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, that it is not quite as simple uh, as that. Um, but you're right. Yeah, if we were going to do the opposite of make those individual choices, wow, that's going to be a huge cost, a it, huge cost. It's not an old country buffet. You know, you just can't pick and choose <laughs> on my level. And, and one of the truth is, and, and I know this from my own personal investments, sometimes sure. there's a proprietary level with the fund managers that they don't want necessarily. They, they can tell you in certain areas and certain realms it's, it's going to be heavy in autos and it might be heavy in computers and it might be heavy in this. But it's not like as like, okay, you have, you know, as you said, a specific sportswear company or a specific online business. It sometimes is not really easy to determine what exactly is the makeup of these things well you know i think that you know we can actually you know i think we're pretty good about that transparency one of the things we do demand from anybody we invest with is that we get to see where that money is going so we often can dig out and fit and find that kind of thing but again 130 billion dollars you're not going to be able to get that granular on every single investment now again you what we do though is uh make sure we have um uh, managers that are doing things like checking for risks. You know, if there is a global conflict, are you, how are you checking for that risk? And what you ha- they have to prove to us is that they are asking about that, that they are testing that kind of thing. That we do know that if you have investments um, in any energy company, do you have a plan to make sure that any company that's unwilling or um, uh, unable to transition uh, in just as the energy environment is, uh, you need to know that's a risk there and that had better be factored into your decision. So, so we, we check those things, uh, quite carefully. But if we were to stop and say, we're going to again move away from Airbnb, yeah. one of the requests, uh, you know, one, I'm not sure what effect that's going to have, but also, uh, to get that level of granularity, wow, it's going to be really difficult to keep our promises to retirees. And because uh, I know, go ahead. yeah, no, go ahead. Well, we talk about what's, you know, we talk about ethics. We talk about that. Well, keeping your promises is a quite an ethical, um, an ethical stance too. No, we I, promise these people that they're going to get the pension they earned and we have to keep that promise. And we have seen in other states where this has gone bad, knee-jerk decisions, political decisions that are not looking out for the betterment of the fund per se or mm-hmm. tie you down into a minutiae sort of situation without understanding what's really going on that have ended up costing retirees quite a bit of money. 
Well, exactly. So if you could come to me and say, hey, I, need, I want you to invest in this category uh, of investments, um, what I want to hear is um, I do want to hear the urgency, right? I want to hear the story. I do want to hear that. I appreciate that. Uh, but I also need to hear how are you going to balance the ledger? Mm-hmm. You know, if the risk comes due, what are you going to do? Are you going to have access to other funds to replace it? Um, or are you going to leave public employees holding the bag? Now, this is why if there's generally any divestment action, it usually comes from the legislature. Now, the legislature, if they ever seek to do that, I think they need to put up a guarantee, and they have the ability to do this, to say, hey, you know what, if this goes south and we are not able to meet our obligations, you know what, we'll raise taxes if we have to. We'll pull from another fund if we have to. Now, in the executive branch, I don't have access. I can't uh, to raising revenue. Can't raise revenue. Mm-hmm. So the only, I can't balance the ledger that way. So if you are to come and say, hey, we want to use this fund for some other reason, it's like, okay, if you're going to do that, how are you going to guarantee that if this goes tough, that you're going to um, make the fund whole mm-hmm. and, and have that um, in the back end? You know, we take a look at things, um, uh, other divestment decisions that have come from the legislature. I think that's been the expectation that if this decision um, leads us to a problem, then we expect you to find the revenue to fix it. I want to reiterate something you just said at the beginning of that because there are going to be some people that are going to look at you and say, well, you don't want to hear about it. And you're saying actually quite the opposite. No, right. I want to hear from you. I want the public input. I want people to to feel like they can come to your office and say this opinion. It just is – it's not nearly as simple as, oh, let me just call this up and get this fixed. You have to have a plan in place to make sure that if you're going to do something like this, how are you ensuring the safety of the pensioners? I don't want this false choice that I think people have. It's like we either have, you know, the only way we can do this is this way. Mm-hmm. No, we can do this. You can absolutely uh, take strong stands um, on the environment. You can take strong stands uh, for justice. And at the same time, you keep your promises to retirees. You mm-hmm. absolutely can do all those together. So if you're coming to us, I, I need to hear, all right, how are you going to keep everything whole? And 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 I don't. I don't want to saw any ever fall for the idea that we can only do one thing at a time. We absolutely have to do more than that at once. My advice, stay away from crypto. Uh, Matt Damon, I don't trust him. <laughs> I don't trust that Matt Damon. All right. Well. I'll tell you what. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Until, until you take one piece of my crop art and turn it into an NFT, uh, then we can have – I mean, that would be huge. That would probably no, solve all No, your, your, crop, your crop art is priceless. It should not be anything. It should just be itself. We'll put it in the museums for sure. Uh, okay, so I'm glad here. And once again, you're off – I want to ask you one more question here, but I do want to say, as you said – Come talk to your office. Come, you know, let them there. Just you want them, you know, they can get in touch with you through the state website, right? You bet. Just uh, type in Minnesota State Auditor. I want to hear what you have to say. Um, but yeah, again, tell me everything. Tell me not only uh, why you want us to do what we're doing, but also what are you going to do to keep the fund whole? Uh, how are other things in the auditor's office? I mean, the excitement, the pageantry, the magistry, that is the state auditor's office. How has it been going for you? <laughs> you know, being in a glamour job, you know how that can be just tiring. But uh, actually, the other the other big thing we're dealing with simply is workforce shortages. You know, yeah. right now, there's a we're, we're struggling in public finance. Um, right now, you're three times as likely to be over 45 than under 35 in public finance. So if you were ever wondering, hey, you know what? I like keeping things organized. I, I've got, I'm good with numbers. Um, I'm not saying you have to be a, like a calculus whiz, but you're organized and, and can find problems and like to fix things. We need you in accounting. We need you in public finance. 
it's it's one of those ways that if you have that skill, you can help people. You know, they come with this great idea, but they got to make sure the resources follow it before it becomes real. So, you know, if you're one of those people, again, you you like numbers, you like keeping things organized, consider going into public finance. We desperately need you. Um, and, and so one of our focuses right now is not only attracting people to the profession, but also talking about how do we change how we do our work. Mm-hmm. You know, demographics are changing. So uh, we can't simply recruit our way out of these um, workforce changes. We have to change how we do business and change how we do our work. Uh, and so that is all the discussion in my office right now. Well, and my, my son is getting ready to graduate from the U with a mathematics degree. And yeah, the demand, because the, the people, there are some jobs, you want a job real quick, you can get one with the state auditor's office. You got this in there. Oh, because- I'll tell you. And it's great because you get to, you know, you get to help out. You know, you've got somebody who, who got themselves elected to city council because they're worried about housing. They wanted to uh, help uh, with housing insecurity. And, you know, they've got this great idea, but if the money doesn't follow it, you know what? Homelessness doesn't get better. Mm-hmm. And so you get a chance to help them do that part of the job. You know, that might not be what they were excited about, right? They're excited about this policy, but they don't know how to do the other side. You get to support that. It's mm-hmm. an extremely important job. And I think that, uh, again, you're, you, you like numbers and you like um, helping people change the world. We can use you. Uh, you're hearing this interview with Julie Blaha. I have interviewed her numerous times. This is exactly who she is. She's a very open dis- a person, open for discussion. I want to once again implore you, if you have a question or concern or just you want an answer to something, contact her office. She'll chat with you. She'll explain things with you. She'll sit down and discuss this. It's not about an either-or situation. It's about making sure that the job that she's doing is representing the people and defending the people that she has been elected to, to do that for, and that includes on the pension funds. Uh, Auditor Julie Blaha, uh, auditor, as always, thank you very much. I appreciate the time and all my best. Oh, I appreciate you telling these stories. Thank you. <laughs> you got it. Take care. Julie Blaha, the state auditor for the state of Minnesota. Uh, let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. I do enjoy Julie Blaha. She's a very nice person, and she actually really cares about the state of Minnesota, and that's what you want in politicians. That's what politicians used to be like, and 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 frankly, that's when you when you look at the the DFL, uh, you know, quadruple that we've got: Governor Walls, Steve Simon, Keith Ellison, Julie Blaha. We've got four state, you know, office holders who care about all Minnesotans and want to hear your opinion, want to hear your voice. And that's – do you understand how good it is here? Holy God. Holy God is it bad in some places. It is. And so I can't tell you how happy I am uh, that she is – she's there working for all Minnesotans and then she's also kind enough to join us every once in a while to uh, – uh, you know, to talk about certain things. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Patrick, have you heard from, I, I heard from multiple people that there was this weird thing in the sky. They, it was that, that was like a line of stars that were flying high in the sky to the south of the metro. In the air. Did you hear about this? I have not heard about this. This was something uh, my son saw it. My wife saw it. And she's like, oh, yeah, I saw this. Like, hey, you saw a line of bright objects flying through the sky. Now, we do not need to get Greg Bakken on the air 
because my son actually went out there and he researched this and he told me this, but it's now being reported. The line of bright lights isn't a sign of life from an unknown planet. There's satellites from Starlink, the international service from SpaceX. It's the craziest thing if you didn't know what it was, said Peter Peterson, an associate professor of Department of Computer Science at the University of Minnesota Duluth, who uses Starlink for home internet. It looks like 60 stars in a conga line basically moving really fast. Satellite uh, you know, internet is nothing new, but older players in satellite internet use uh, geostationary satellites, which are positioned about 22,000 miles over Earth, always orbit over the same patch of the planet. That's kind of how it always works. Starlink satellites orbit about 342 miles above Earth. That means faster internet because the signal has to travel a fraction of the far, but it also requires a lot more satellites because the there always needs to be overhead to ensure service. So now uh, it, it doesn't mean it's not a good story. It still is not. As, I've seen some video images which are really freaky. That one in Arizona, that kind of disappeared where it was the, the wedge of lights that was flying at a relatively low altitude that uh, you, thousands and thousands of people saw. Uh, yeah, what was the balloon? No, 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 that wasn't a weather balloon. That was, that was, that was something else going on there. And there, then there was that huge floating mass that was up by um, Mercury, which was uh, – I was pegging it to be our soon-to-be planetary overlords looking to eat sweet, sweet human flesh. Uh, now, apparently, it was just a big rock uh, that was out there. But I, I thought it was a spa- – it seemed a little bit spaceshipy. And And do we know? I mean, I watched Doctor Who. I know what's going on out there. But, yeah, this is uh, – this is just Starlink. Okay, considering how badly that idiot has run Twitter, is anyone else just a little bit kind of, uh, I don't know if this is the best guy to be running our, our satellite systems? You saw that story. I posted it on social media, him basically swearing at insulting all the advertisers that pulled away from Twitter after he decided to endorse and then double down on endorsing an anti-Semitic post. And then, of course, he ran over to Israel, did a photo op over there, vowed a lot of money and stuff like this. But the reality is the damage is done. And I think he's realized Elon Musk is not a guy who wants to have to actually go on out there and and seek approval from other people. And, I, and what I mean by that is this. You run a social media site, all right? You want people to advertise on it, all right? That's kind of how you make money on these things nowadays. Well, if you're going to go on out there and basically alienate the people that you want to sponsor your programming – that's not going to go well for you. That's that's you know, and he doesn't want to have to say, "Please, would you advertise with us?" He just he expects the world to to show up and and be there. And I, I think that on some things, like Tesla, when he was running the Tesla Corporation, which he still runs the Tesla Corporation, he had the benefit for many years of being the only player in the game, really, that was putting out a 
you know, the other auto industry, the other auto manufacturers for years just, you know, weren't really taking electric vehicles seriously. He was able to, to go on out there and, and, you know, create a niche for himself within the system. And so people were coming to him for the product. He didn't have to go ask anyone about that product. You look at SpaceX, you know, I, I brought this up last hour. I mean, here's a guy who, you know, is taken over from NASA and basically because of this stupid conservative mentality that private sector always does better than the government, which it doesn't, it just doesn't, it just doesn't. The, you know, the, the, you know, it, you, what you end up getting is a, you know, a, a guy that has too much power over us in regards to, to space travel and stuff like this. He doesn't have to. I mean, he's created a situation. Him and Bezos have, and 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 frankly, the Russians have created a situation where the United States government has to go hat in hand to them to 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 to, to do anything with manned space travel, which is not good. I don't think. But that's really different than trying to run Twitter. And this is his downfall. He needs to find. He needs to get away from that because he bought it because he thought everyone on the planet would think he's cool. Everyone thinks, you know, outside of a handful of alpha bro dudes, man, bro dudes. I have a bunch of those guys. They think he's cool, but no one else does. And he is just not the person who is going to be out there that you want in front of a company that needs other businesses to sponsor the content there. Although, I mean, it is, if you are on Twitter at all, the ads that they have got on that thing right now are hilarious. Almost all of these are like Japanese gadgets that that are you know just hilarious. It's just this is this is the holiday season and this is what you're advertising. Well, good luck with all that. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Let's take a break. Come on back. Uh, I've got an idiot Republican and I'm going to take him to town. When we come on back, it's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM nine fifty. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. We have, I mean, I thought these guys were, were, were smart enough to wise up and, and not be making these stupid comments anymore. We, 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 had a, we had a litany of Republicans who were out there in the last six years or so insisting, insisting that their small county tax revenues we're subsidizing the Twin Cities metro area. That they, they can't pay their bills in Minneapolis-St. Paul, so they need all the, 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 the tax dollars from Otter Tail County and Kuchiching County and Lincoln County to basically subsidize the thing. And, and, and it's funny because it's quite literally the absolute opposite that most of the counties in outstate Minnesota are moocher counties. And just using the Republicans' term, moocher counties. Counties that take far more money from the state than they're putting into the state coffers. And as a matter of fact, the vast majority of the money that goes to these counties actually comes from the seven-county metro area, which is actually the, the tax hub of the state. Now, I want to reiterate something I have said before I get into this from the beginning. I believe in a common-sense state tax program. I understand that rural counties are not going to be able to afford to 
keep the roads fixed or water treatment plants going or wells they need to get there or internet. I get that. I have no problem in subsidizing the state because you know what? I am in this together. I am not one of these jackass Republicans who's constantly doing a us and them, us and them, us and them crap. I just can't stand it. So I don't have I even though there are plenty of roads in this state I will never in my life drive down. And I had some guy make a comment to me today. It's like I don't think we should be subsidizing roads I don't drive on. Well, no, no, you, you subsidize the entire state because the 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 whole state does better. We all do better. I don't want it to be you know, something in the the you know, where where one county's got good roads, one county doesn't have good roads. That doesn't do any good for anyone. So I'm, I am one of these people that believes in a comprehensive statewide tax program that, yeah, I understand is going to offset the seven-county metro area where I live. I live in Hennepin County. So I'm going to basically be paying more of my taxes, and I'm going to be subsidizing it. So this has nothing to do with whether or not it is. But I'm sure going to have a good time calling out these dumbasses and throwing it back in their face. Because if you're stupid enough to go down this path, I'm going to make sure you understand how stupid you are. Now, we did have uh, Jeremy's, Dr. Jeremy Dunson. Remember when he was in the, in the uh, House? Was he House or Senate? He's a House member. Um, Dr. Munson, or Jeremy Munson, I remember when he suggested that the western two-thirds of the state peel off and join South Dakota. And, you know, it was funny because I think he said this in a way to, like, you warn us. (laughs) And we were like, sweet Jesus, do it, man. Do it. Not only will instantaneously... The very eastern part of the state, which would still be Minnesota, which would have been the Iron Range, the Arrowhead region, Duluth, basically the counties that run the eastern side of, of, of the state, the Twin Cities, Rochester, Austin, the southeastern part of the state. Immediately, our, our state would be so much flush with cash, it wouldn't be funny because we don't have to subsidize these two-thirds of the counties out in the western part of the state. We wouldn't have to do that. And then, of course, there's the other side of this where have you seen what South Dakota is doing when it comes to roads and schools and funding and stuff like this? Every one of your schools, every one of your your businesses, every single one of them would immediately, immediately take a, 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 a massive hit on funding. And so all your everything would be worse. But sure, no, go go and do this. Go and do this. There was a moment when some MAGA Republicans stood up and said, why can't we keep our taxpayer dollars? And it was one of the county clerks. And I can't remember where this was. I, I, I keep thinking it was Morrison County, but I don't think it was Morrison. I, I don't know for sure. But one of the county clerks stood up and he says, if you don't understand how detrimental we are, it would be for us to get rid of the taxpayer dollars coming in from the rest of the state, then I'm going to quit and this, this county's doomed because – you don't understand. It was a bunch of MAGA guys that are sitting there saying, we are going to demand that the state doesn't take our taxpayer dollars. And, you know, that, that he says, if you understand this, this is going to really hurt the county. And these MAGA idiots sat there kind of dumbfounded like, what do you mean we take more money than we give? That seemed to be the end of it for a while. We didn't seem to have any stupid, dumbass Republicans suggesting you're taking our taxpayer dollars. Well, ladies and gentlemen, New Ulm Republican State Senator Gary Doms. All right, here we go. 
This is from Minute Reformer, and it's a, it's an excellent, excellent piece that breaks down the fact that we the metro area subsidizes the rest of the state. A common refrain from Minnesota Republicans goes something like this. Rural communities are overtaxed and underfunded and ignored by the legislators. Greater Minnesota sends their tax dollars to the Twin Cities while metro residents benefit from government programs. At a November 15th event in New Ulm, Republican State Senator Gary Dumbs Dumbs, uh, (laughs) repeated the sentiment that had fueled the kinds of outstate Republican campaigns that helped them win over Minnesota House a decade ago. If you look at the money that's collected in rural Minnesota for gas tax and things like that, we don't get our fair share for transportation. If you look at the health care, we don't get our fair share for health care, Dom said, according to the New Ulm Journal. It really shows up in the education when you see what we get per student versus what the seven-county metro area. There is a major, major difference here. Really, dumbass. Okay. It's a sweeping argument that plays into the state's oftenly bitterly divided partisan and geographic politics, which have become deeply intertwined during the past decade, with Republicans dominating greater Minnesota while Democratic Farm Labor Party is locked into the metro. It also simplifies its complicated web of taxes and uh, revenue distributions, and uh, it's factually untrue. Department of Revenue data shows that the Twin Cities metro area is the state's biggest driver of tax revenue, and rural counties benefit more than metro area from government aid. That's a fact. That's something that Dom's probably knows, so he's probably just saying this just to try to be political. It is. The Twin Cities Metro resident paid an average of $4,362 in taxes, received $3,252 in aid and credits per capita in 2019, according to analysis from the Minnesota House Research Department. In the non-metro area, counties in the same year, residents paid an average of $2,831 2831 per person in taxes, received 3423 in state aid and credits per capita. Moocher counties, using your term. Once again, for all those people in Republican districts that are kind of too stupid and just don't want to hear this, I'm going to say it again because I'm hoping it gets through your thick skulls. In the metro area, we pay $4,300 in taxes. We only get $3,200 back less than $1,000 back in government aid per person per capita in 2019. In rural areas, you only pay $2,800, basically $1,500 less than we do. And you receive $3,400 in state aid. You receive actually more in state aid than we do in the metro area, even though we're paying $1,500 more in taxes than you are. That the seven-county metro area would contribute more to Minnesota's overall tax base isn't surprising, though, nor is it complicated. The metro has more people. The jobs pay more. The property values are higher, both because income and property taxes are progressive. The more you make, the more your house is worth. The more you pay, the metro's contribution is larger. When it comes to distributing that revenue, rural programs need more money per capita because programs are less efficient when people are spread out, said Kelly Aish, A-S-C-H-E, a researcher at the Center for Rural Policy and Development. It's a rural area. We're fighting against the economies of scale. It's a rural economy, uh, rural, the rural enemy to be efficiently run. Um, last year, the House Research Department launched an online tool that allows users to explore and compare ta- state taxes and credits. In some areas, like the gas tax, non-Metro Minnesotans actually do pay the more than the Twin Cities residents. Everyone pays the same rate, 28.5 cents per gallon, which would be adjusted for inflation in coming years, but rural residents use more gas because they have to drive longer between towns. I mean, I, I, I live in Hopkins. I work in Eden Prairie. It's kind of a nice thing about the metro area. But if you live in rural parts of the, the, the state, your job might be 25 miles away. 
and that adds up. By the way, farmers are exempt from the gas tax, so there's that. So, the government, you government socialists! <laughs> your, your socialism is encroaching in on my farm, and I demand to pay the gas tax. Okay. Um, for the state tax carriers that make up both the state collections, however, metro residents disproportionately contribute to the revenue pool. So when when Dom's goes out there and he says the gas tax, well, which by the way he then said and other things, and then he talked about health care, and then he talked about education. To a point, he's right, but that's he's what he's done. And once again, I am giving him far more benefit of the doubt that he deserves because he clearly was talking about all taxes and many different taxes and this. But I'll just give him the benefit of the doubt. The gas tax is there. The problem is with his statement is that every other tax he doesn't pay more on. And so what you can look at is what he should be saying is this. You know, I'd like to see them address something with the gas tax because it is a little more aggressive to people who are in rural America. But I want to say a big thank you to the Twin Cities metro area because if not for them, they would, we would not have most of the programs in rural Minnesota because they subsidize a lot of what goes on in our state. And seen. What was the last time you saw any Republican ever say anything like that? They used to. Republicans used to say stuff like that. They used to say, you know what, you know, it's it's you know, I got a specific issue with the gas tax. It's a problem here. We need to address this. But I do want to make sure I say thank you on the front end to the people in the metro area who help subsidize the subsidized community. Nope. And Dom's won't ever say that because it's not that it's not factually true. It's because it violates the narrative they want you to hear. The narrative they want you to hear is, you're a poor victim in those Twin Cities Democrats are taking all your money when the absolute opposite is true. Um, the next biggest state, uh, state tax revenue Oh, they, they, excuse me, let me see. 22 million uh, Minnesotans own taxes. About 57% of those taxpayers lived in the seven-county metro area, but their tax liabilities made up 66% of the state's collections. The next biggest chunk of the state revenue, 20%, comes from sales and use taxes. Like income taxes, the state sales tax rate of 6.875 applies evenly across the state. Municipalities can tack on their own local sales taxes, though, leading to different sales taxes across the state, but the state's share is the same everywhere. Also, more, uh, more sales tax revenue comes from the Twin Cities than greater Minnesota, presumably because some rural Minnesotans travel to the cities to do their shopping. Uh, the property tax is another important revenue source, making the majority of the public school funding across the state. The Twin Cities metro area property values are much higher on average than the non-metro counties. Uh, the House Department of Revenue and analysts of the 2021 tax year showed residents of the Twin Cities area carried a slightly higher tax burden. In his comments at the event in New Ulm, Dom's called out three specific areas he believed rural Americans didn't get their fair share, transportation, health care, and education. Dom's later cl- clarified that by health care, he was referring to nursing home medical assistance and reimbursement rates, which the Minnesota Department of Human Services sets based on facilities operating, facility, uh, and external cost. So Dom's realizing he was a stupid idiot and really needed to try to tap dance his way out of this. Started, well, what I meant by that is this. Nursing home reimbursement rates were very wildly Across the state, a reformer analysis of medical assistance reimbursement rates showed that five of the seven metro area counties receive reimbursement rates below the state average of 410. So once again, his whole argument is those twin city Democrats are taking all the money. I want to repeat this line again. 
A reformer analysis of the medical assistance reimbursement rate showed that five of these seven metro area counties receive rates below the state average. In Dom's district in southeastern Minnesota, two of the five counties he represents received significantly more than the state average. The state average is 410. They received 515 and 467. So he's a dumbass and he doesn't know what he's talking about. When it comes to education, some districts in both the Twin Cities Metro and Greater Minnesota are underfunded, according to analysis by the Minnesota School Voices. A lack of funding is correlated by the rate of poor students, students of color, and English language learners more so than the district's rural or urban status. Minnesota public schools are funded through a combination of local property taxes and state money. For the state part, all schools start with the same baseline funding, about $7,100 per student. The rest of the state funding comes from the education formula, a 14-component algorithm that is built on to compensate schools for the cost of education populations. The formula has an equalization component that gives extra money to districts in areas with low property values in order to bring funding closer to that of property-rich districts. Some formula components benefit rural schools, including increased compensation for small schools or sparsely populated districts. Other components tend to benefit urban schools. Rural and metro schools alike receive additional funding based on how many students qualify for free or produce lunch. The Belgrade Bruton El Rosa Public School District, do you have any idea what the mascot of that one is? No? Um, The Belgrade Bruton El Rosa Public School District, a rural district in central Minnesota, received nearly $13,000 per adjusted pupil unit in fiscal year 2022. The highest in the state, adjusted pupil units are used to account students and a formula purposes, which are weighed based on the grade level. A large part of that funding, about 37%, came from the sparsely components of the formula. Put that in perspective, because once again, what's their argument? Your Minneapolis schools are taking all our money. Uh, Minneapolis public schools received a total of $8,790 per adjusted student, which is, uh, I, hey, judging from my public school days, that's a lot less than 13000 About 16% of the funding came from the compensatory component of the formula. The Ada Borub West Public Schools in rural Western Minnesota relieved left the Minneapolis schools with 8474 per adjusted pupil unit. The district isn't as sparse as Belgrade, Bruton, El Rosa. It serves fewer lower-income students than the Minneapolis public schools. Suburban districts tend to receive the least amount of state funding because they generally feature higher property values. So this is basically saying, no, no, Doms. There's plenty of rural school districts that get tons of extra money. I'll tell you what, let me take a break. Come on back. Uh, so we've we've determined that no, that even in Dom's district, his health care, senior cares, after he tried to fix his problem, his senior health care reimbursement dollars is actually higher than it is in the metro area. And now we've proven that the school district funding is actually in many rural districts higher than in Minneapolis, St. Paul as well. Uh, fun story. We'll get to transportation funding when we do come on back. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. So once again, uh, this is where we've got another exceptional piece from the Minnesota Reformer where it's Senator Doms, a Republican, basically comes on out and he initially says, you guys in your taxpayer dollars are not helping us out in rural Minnesota. And then when basically people start calling him out on this, he's trying to, well, when I was talking about healthcare dollars, I was talking about the senior home reimbursement rate, which then you find out actually two of his counties have a much higher rate than the Twin Cities counties. 
So that's not legit. And the education funding, well, the argument that all the money goes to those Minneapolis St. Paul schools. Actually, no, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, there's plenty of rural districts that because of the formula get far more money than Minneapolis St. Paul per student. But he doesn't want to talk about that because it ruins his narrative. Transportation funding is another one he chimed in about. A largely responsible for cities, counties, and uh, townships in Minnesota is usually paid for with local property taxes. The state is responsible for maintaining the highway system, including interstates, U.S. highways, and state highways, which accounts for around 8% of the road miles. The federal government chips in the funding for those roads. State transportation funds mostly come from the gas tax, the motor vehicle sales tax, and tab fees. When looking at federal, state, and local funding combined, residents of the Twin Cities metro area in central Minnesota contribute more in transportation funding than they receive. One more time. Doms, did you hear that? The residents of the Twin Cities metro area in central Minnesota contribute more in transportation funding than they receive, according to a study of transportation funding. Uh, from experts at the University of Minnesota Center for Transportation Studies. The opposite was true for some non-metro districts, including northern and southwestern Minnesota, which receive more than they contribute in transportation. If greater Minnesota residents feel shortchanged, mainly because that could be the sheer size of the system they have to maintain, Minnesota has the fifth largest road network in the country, including 255,000 lane miles of greater Minnesota, Higher costs associated with maintenance and snow removal could be a reason for northern districts receive more funding. Um, in 2023 legislative session, lawmakers passed a $9 billion transportation bill funded by increased tab fees, motor vehicle sales charges, and uh, sales taxes and gas taxes and the new delivery fee. More than $2, $2 billion is dedicated to highway maintenance and expansion across the state. Dom's then basically when he was exposed this, that once again, another lie that the metro area is taking all the transportation dollars, tried to revise it. You know, He said he took issue with the disparity in earmark projects, like the nearly $200 million in for a high-speed passenger train between the Twin Cities and Duluth, which he said mostly served the metro population. First of all, that's what all you're doing, because I could do the same thing, Dom's, I could sit here all day long and say, you know that ra- ro- you know that road project in Dom's district? I'm never going to drive on that road. I have a lot of problem in us subsidizing that road down in his district because that's only for his community. See how stupid it sounds, Dom's? See how stupid it sounds when you s- I-, I say it about your projects in your district? It's clear your district is gobbling up taxpayer dollars out of the metro area. So shut up, first of all, Senator. With all due respect, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Or you do, and you're just, once again, heaven forbid you not stop the narrative. You're so desperate for your, your brainwashed followers to continue to believe. You basically, you, you, so now all of a sudden, it's, it's not that you're not getting taxpayer dollars and you're not getting advantage. It's just, oh, I don't like that train line. Well, the heck with you, man. I don't want to pay, I don't want to pay for things in your district. But we do for the betterment of all state. And anyone can do what you're doing. I could sit here all day long and talk about it. How about all the schools in Dom's district that waste our taxpayer dollars with their higher funding level in Minneapolis, St. Paul? Uh, how about all the, the health care costs that are much higher in two of his five counties than they are in the Twin Cities metro area, even though we put more money into the system than they do? I can do this, too. And as a matter of fact, here's the problem for you, dumbass, if I can, Senator. For me, you know, do you really want to go down this path? Fine. Introduce the bill. Senator, introduce the bill. 
that you get your county, your district, your counties keep their taxpayer dollars and don't want a dime from the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area. We'll let you keep all your money. Sir, keep it. All yours. By all means. Back up your threat, sir. Back up your words. Show me what your integrity is all about. Or apologize and say thank you to the people of Minneapolis-St. Paul for subsidizing your town and your county and your communities. Because that's what we do. And I, once again, going back to what I first said here, I don't mind doing that. A stronger Minnesota overall is a better Minnesota. But you see, is I'm not some idiot that's desperately got to trick people into voting for him. So I'm not one of these people like, those big city bigwigs, those Democrats taking all of our money. <laughs> Dude, facts are not on your side. But okay, Doms, put your money where your mouth is. And just say, we'll keep our taxpayer dollars, you keep yours, and we'll be fine with that. Of course, you'll be run out of your district, but, you know, a little cardio, not bad for you, okay? Native Roots Radio, I'm Wake. That's coming up next. We are back tomorrow. Have a good one. Until then, see ya.